stuff. No spooky captivity video today. We're still in our sermon series called Captivity, but it took a turn last week for the better, and so we're going to continue down that turn today. Today is Whiteboard Sunday, everybody. All right, Whiteboard Sunday. Those of you who have been around have seen me pull out the whiteboard, I know you can't wait to see me struggle to write legibly and draw anything that resembles anything that makes the point of what we're trying to make. But I had a little help with my whiteboard this week. We went ahead and pre-did it, and so that's going to be coming up here in just a moment. As it's doing that, I know the people who are back, like Miss Rhonda, I see her every day in our office, but she's not been able to be in worship through this whole thing. She's been caring for her mom and and and. And then Rhonda got sick and all this stuff, but Rhonda and many others are back today for the very first time, and I know what you're thinking. I am so glad to be back. Amen? Amen. And there's people that are new today. It's your first day here, and I know what you're thinking. I think I found my home. (laughs) I'm not trying to be presumptuous, but I just know that God's bringing people who sense the Spirit of God and what the Lord's doing here. So welcome to you, and I do hope you'll give us an opportunity to tell you more about Jesus and to tell you more about what he's doing here among our church family. So in this sermon series called Captivity, we are high tech, by the way, around here. So uh, if you're looking for a church that's high tech, you found it. Here we go. Uh, You got to remember who I am. I still think dry race is high tech. In our captivity series, we've been talking about the things that oftentimes take our hearts and minds into captivity, away from dwelling in and abiding in Christ. And we talked about things like uh, digital distractions, and we talked about busyness, and we talked about idolatry, and we talked about uh, apathy and illiteracy, illiteracy toward the Bible. Uh, we talked about, uh, did I say negativity? Uh, all those things. How many of you are just tired of having a life that just seems to be drawn into captivity to that kind of stuff that just draws us away from an intimate fellowship with the Lord? I think we, we all are. And so the good news is we're pivoting today. That series is uh, Captivity, Escaping Babylon and Embracing Home. And so the series kind of divides like that. So we spent the first half talking about escaping captivity and beginning last week and now today again, we want to talk about embracing home. Now you may recognize if you've been around Grace Life for any length of time, and we're going to put this on the screen so everybody can see it off over here in the cheap seats in the wings. By the way, wing people, I would never sit in the wings. Those are the worst seats in the house. Now, we're about to have a new house where there's good seat everywhere, but right now, those are the cheapest seats in the room, so um, get here sooner. That's all I can tell you, all right? Or some of you get here first so you can sit in the cheap seats. I don't know. I don't understand it. All right, let's put this up on the board. You see, here's the tree. How many of you remember the sermon from way back when I did the tree? We did a whole sermon based on that. So I'm going to ask the media team if they will to repost that on our social media tomorrow. It's an old sermon. I'm lighter and more handsome <laughs> and younger. Uh, so go back and watch that one. It's the whole thing is based on the tree. But here's what we want to say about this. Same, same principle is this is the fruit on this tree is like our life, right? Our our life bears the fruit of our attitudes, our behavior, uh, the the way we talk, the things we talk about, the pattern of our life. Now, the fruit is determined on what's happening down here at the root. If the root is right, the fruit's going to be right. But oftentimes, the root isn't right. And a tree can't bear two different kinds of fruit, right? You don't have a hybrid that's got apples and oranges. It's just one kind of fruit. And so in our life, the same is true. Either the fruit that we're bearing in our life is what we would call good fruit. I would call that life in the spirit. Or it's bad fruit. We would call that life in the flesh. Now, what determines which kind of fruit it is is not what is happening at the fruit level. 
What determines what kind of fruit we're bearing in our life is determined at the root level. And at the root level is our belief system. Our behavior is rooted in what do we believe. Now here's the problem. If what we are believing about God is false... Now, nobody in here would say, well, I, I believe things about God that are false. I know mentally, maybe we don't, but the fruit of our life tells a different story. The fruit of our life may say, yeah, mentally you would check the box that you believe this about God, but your life is telling on you that you're not fully trusting that that's true about God. You're not fully trusting that he's faithful. You carried around a burden for 30 years because you're not trusting that God is a God of mercy. Because you're not trusting that God is a God of grace, right? And so when what we believe about God is false, and then what we believe about what God has done is false. Well, I believe Jesus died on the cross, but do you really believe that? Do you really trust that? Do you really believe he died to dump all your sins deep into the sea of forgetfulness? Do you really believe that you're righteous now in his sight because of your faith in his son, his death on the cross? You say, mentally, yeah, but the fruit of my life is telling a different tale. I'm not really trusting that. Well, that means then you're not believing about God what is true. You're believing about God what is false. You're believing about what God has done is false. You're believing about who you are in Christ. What you're believing about that is false. And because it's false at the root, it's false all the way through the trunk, and it's false all the way up to the fruit. And now the fruit's bad. So what do we do? We repent. You know what word? The word repent means to change your mind. To change your mind. I am no longer going to have a mind, a heart, a life that believes wrongly about God and what He's done and who I am. I'm going to believe the truth of the Word of God, and I'm going to repent. I'm going to begin to now believe what is true about God. I'm going to begin to believe what is true about what God has done. I'm going to believe what is true about who I am in Christ. That was the transformation that happened in that lady's heart in my office the other day. 30 years. She was here buying the lie that she was responsible that somebody went to hell, that God couldn't forgive her, that her pastor was going to be mad at her. But when we shared biblical truth, the truth set her free. She began to believe the truth about God and what God has done and who we are in Him. And when you do that, then the fruit of your life is going to be good. The fruit of the Spirit is going to be there. And Jesus said, when you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. And that's where we've come to in this series of captivity, we've been talking about how a lot of people think of their relationship with Jesus like this. There's Jesus and there's me, and I'm on this constant pursuit, this constant journey to try to get closer to Jesus. When the reality is, the language, the imagery of Scripture is that we're to dwell in Jesus. We're to abide in Jesus. We are to live in Jesus. And here's what I want us to do today. I want us to zoom in on a person who's dwelling in Christ abiding in Christ. I want to put this under a microscope. And when we do that, what we're going to see is life in 4D. Life in four directions. Now, let me be clear. What we're going to talk about today doesn't get you here. Repenting and believing gets you here. When you're abiding in Christ, then these things happen. Life in four directions happen. And the first D that we want to talk about today is God's direction toward us, His life. This is triangle for God, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God's life is flowing toward us. 
Our life is flowing toward God, direction two. Direction three, our life flows toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. And direction four, our life flows toward people who don't yet know Christ. And so today we want to look at D1, God's life flowing toward our lives. And as we talk about that today, what we're really talking about is Bible intake. Um, I know y'all may want to see this again, but for the sake of, because I'm, I'm an old youth pastor at heart, and I don't trust you guys to behave i got to try to see y'all over here as best I can, okay? So, high tech. I might have to come stand on that orange dot to see Barry. Barry, sit on that side of Pam so I just make sure. Because you, you awfully snuggled up over there, and I'm kind of worried. <laughs> Pam, leave a little room for the Holy Spirit over there, okay? There you go. All right, there you go. I'm just kidding. Y'all are married, man. Get a little closer. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's talk about Bible intake. I just heard somebody snort. They were laughing so hard. But I, I will not call any names, Kimmy. Um, listen, the person who's dwelling in Jesus does not settle for a life that is void of God's word. A person who's dwelling in and abiding in Jesus is a person who has a heart and a passion and a tenacity toward the word of God, because they understand God's word is how God's presence, God's truth, the gospel, how he flows all of his life toward me. And everything else is dependent upon that. The other three D's that we'll talk about, they won't happen if we first aren't experiencing God's life from God's word into our life. Furthermore, how could we ever repent and believe if we don't know God's word? How can we stop believing what's false and believe what's true if we don't know what God's word is saying? So the person who's dwelling in, abiding in Christ, they are passionate about the word of God. They understand, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, that it is the sword of the spirit. It's the only offensive weapon that we've been given in this world that we live in. We understand that it's God revealing his truth to us, and that is the most important activity in the life of a believer. Because we must know the truth and live the truth and walk by the truth and share the truth. Because the truth and knowing the truth is what sets us free. And the person who's dwelling in Christ and abiding in Christ and living in Christ, they know there is no substitute for the milk or the meat of God's word. No substitute at all. Everything that happens that is right. Y'all moved a whole section now. Barry, she's finding me more interesting than you now. What is going on with that? 35 years. Congratulations, man. I hope you got that right. See what you miss when you're not in the room, live streamers? You can't hear these private little conversations. So we'll start micing everybody up. How about that? No. Everything that happens in the life of a believer that's dwelling in Christ is based on God's word coming into our life. Now, you might remember uh, captivity number five. We talked about biblical illiteracy, apathy toward the Bible. Here's what I encourage you to do. Watch the sermon this week with the whole tree, the whole sermon about that, and then take captivity number five and captivity number eight and put them back to back on your playlist, all right? So I think that'll be a good one-two punch for us. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you six ways that God's life flows into you from his word into your life. And listen, if you practice one of these, that's better than none. But the person that experiences, experiences the fullness of God 
The person who's abiding in or dwelling in Jesus is a person who practices all six. Let me be clear. You don't practice these six so that you can dwell in God. That's called legalism. I must do, I must do, I must do so that God approves of me. No, no. The Christian life is not a to-do list. The Christian life is a message of it is done. It is finished. It is complete. All we have to do to be saved is repent and believe, right? All we have to do to abide in Christ is the same thing. Repent and believe. And then when we're abiding in Christ, then that person is going to have this devotion to God's word that's manifested in these six ways. Now, if you're familiar with the Navigators or Donald Whitney, who wrote, wrote a lot about spiritual disciplines, I'm kind of pressing them together and giving this hybrid sort of demonstration of what we're talking about today with Bible intake. Now, I'm going to give you the six. Here's what I want you to do. We're not going to put them on the screen yet, but I'm going to give you the six. You write them down. All right? And give a little space in between them, because those six are our points for the sermon. So allow some white space in there so you can fill some meat in on the bones as we go here, okay? Number one is reading the Word. And when we talk about reading the Word, we're going to talk about that being the palm of the hand. We're going to use the hand to illustrate what we're talking about today. So reading the Word is the palm of the hand. Hearing the Word, number two, hearing the Word is the pinky. Hearing the Word is the pinky. Number three studying the word studying the word that's the pointer finger number four memorizing the word that's the ring finger memorizing the word ring finger do I need to slow down I love it when the church says slow down preacher slow down because usually they're going speed up dude speed up hungry memorizing the word is the ring finger Memorize, or meditating on the word, the middle finger. Meditating on the word, the middle finger. Applying the word, the thumb. Got it? We're going to go through, th through these one at a time. So if you missed one, we'll get it. Or maybe you can see the board up there. So let's start with number one. The person that dwells in the Lord, dwells in Christ, living, abiding in Him. They've escaped Babylon. They're embracing home. What does it look like? Well, they're reading the word. That's the palm of the hand. The person who's dwelling in Christ is a person who is consistently, consistently reading the Word of God. Sadly, though, surveys tell us that most people who say they're Christians don't read God's Word consistently. A recent survey was done by the Center for Bible Engagement. They surveyed 40,000 people who professed to be followers of Jesus of all ages from 8 to 80. They were after some piece of information. I'm not sure what that was. But what they found out kind of as a sideline to that was actually more stunning. Here's what they found out. That when a Christian reads the Bible one time a week, there is a negligible impact on their life. One time a week doesn't really show up in life transformation at all. For those who responded that they read the Bible two times a week, it was really no different than the people who read it one time a week. There was negligible impact. You couldn't really measure any significant life change from reading the Bible two times a week. The survey revealed that for people who read their Bible three times a week, there was measurable life change. It wasn't great, but there was a bump on the graph, right? But something that took their breath away was when they documented the people who said they read God's Word at least four times a week. Four times a week or more. The graph spiked off the chart with measurable life change. Measurable life impact. Here's what they discovered. Feelings of loneliness for people who read the Bible four or more times a week dropped 
Struggles with anger decreased by 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. People reported that their struggle with alcoholism was improved by 40%. People who said they felt spiritually stagnant when they started reading their Bible four or more times a week, 60% of them said they were no longer spiritually stagnant. Viewing pornography dropped 61% when people started reading their Bible four times a week. Sharing your faith with somebody else skyrocketed off the chart to 200% increase when people were reading their Bible four more times a week. Discipling others, which is what we're called to do, increased by 230% among people who read their Bible four or more times a week. A week. Now, we shouldn't be surprised by that, because when we understand what the Bible says about the Bible, it tells us it's going to change your life dramatically. Listen to what the Bible says about the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture, that's the Bible, is inspired by God and is useful to do what? To teach us what is true. That's how we know how to repent. That's how we know what to believe. That's how we... Begin to abide in Christ because we're abiding in the truth. It teaches us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us. This is why a lot of Christians are stuck for 30 years over here. Because we're not in the Word. The Word corrects us. It makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, watch, to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. God's word is powerful, and it changes lives. Revelation 1.3 says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. The person who is dwelling in Christ, they repent and believe, that not, not just one time, by the way. This becomes the consistent rhythm of a believer's life. A person who abides in Christ and dwells in Christ, this is the consistent rhythm. It's constantly repent, believe, repent, believe, repent, believe, like a heartbeat. Repent, believe, repent, believe, repent, believe, repent, believe, abide, repent, believe, abide, repent, believe, abide, repent, believe, abide, receive. Repent, believe, abide, receive. Now we're receiving from God through His Word and our life is transformed. Listen, if you want your life to be different today than it was yesterday, repent, believe, abide, receive. Say it with me. Repent, believe, abide, receive. Repent, believe, abide, receive. Repent, believe, abide, receive. And we receive God's word from God. Read God's word. Set an appointment every day. Just have the time marked out. Nothing interferes with it, right? Have a specific place. Have a specific plan. All right, be steady, Eddie, with all that. The person who's dwelling in Christ is experiencing God flowing into their life through Bible reading, palm of the hand. But that's not enough. We get the word in the palm of our hand, it can be snatched out pretty quick, right? So let's go to the pinky finger, hearing the word. Hearing the word. It's probably the easiest one of all these to put to practice in our lives. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, so faith comes from Hearing, that's hearing the good news about Christ. Now, oftentimes we think about that's how a person's saved. We hear the good news and a person is saved. But let me ask you this. How many of you are saved from sin's penalty? You know you are. Praise the Lord. But how many of us still struggle with sin's power? All right? 
So the same hearing of the gospel that saves me from sin's penalty is the same hearing of the gospel that I need to save me from sin's power. So I need to be hearing the word. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.13, he's in prison, he's writing to Timothy, who's trying to keep the church in the middle of the road until he gets back. Paul says, until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church. Just read the word to the people. Now, for most of you, the way that you primarily uh, hear God's word is what you're doing right now. You come and you hear me preach God's word to you, or you go to your Bible study group and you hear God's word as it's taught to you. But listen, let me tell you this. Reading and hearing it is not enough. I mean, how strong is that pinky, right, by the way? If, I, if that's all you got is hearing and reading it, you're not going to have a strong grip to be able to hold on to the truth of God's word. Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells a story beginning in verse 5. He says, a farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell on rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. And when he had said this, he called out, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He replied, You're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach the others so that scriptures might be fulfilled. Quote, When they look, they won't really see, and when they hear, they won't understand. It's not enough to read to hear. Jesus goes on, he says, verse 11, This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell in the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represents those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by all the cares and riches and pleasure of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it. See? Difference? Cling to it and patiently produce a huge harvest. Listen, if all we're doing when it comes to the Word of God is reading it and hearing it, we're not going to cling to it. That's evidence that we're not abiding in Christ if that's all we're doing. And if we're not abiding in Christ, we're not going to be bearing the fruit that Jesus wants us to bear for His glory in our life. The person who is abiding in Christ is receiving God's Word not only through reading it, not only through hearing, but number three, through studying it. That's the pointer finger. The pointer finger. I know growing up, I don't know if anybody had this experience with their dad. I had this experience with my dad. For some of you, your dad was like, pull my finger. My dad wasn't into that. My dad was like, I'm going to put you to my knees, with you, to your knees with my finger. He knew where to touch me that would just drive me bananas, right? Just the pressure points. And he did that so often that if he just started wagging his finger at me, I'd freak out, you know, and cry like a girl. No, 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 no. Why? Because the finger, the pointer finger... You can really exert some force with that finger, right? So when we're talking about studying God's word, listen, it's going to require some effort. It's going to require some energy. You're going to have to exert some force. Merely reading and hearing the Bible is like rowing your little boat on a calm lake. But studying the Bible, that's like jumping out of the boat with your scuba gear on and going down beneath the surface. There's more there. Look at Ezra chapter 7. Or just write, write the 
address down. You can go back and look at it later. Ezra chapter 7, verse 8. i got to start talking really fast so you all listen really fast, okay? Ezra's been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. God's delivering his people back now to the promised land. Ezra's going to be one of those leaders. And verse 8 says, Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year. He had arranged to leave Babylon on April 8th, the first day of the new year. And he arrived at Jerusalem on August 4th. Why? Because the gracious hand of his God was on him. This was because Ezra had determined to study. God's hand was on him. Do you see that? God's hand was on him. Why? Because he determined to study. And obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. Ezra was abiding in and dwelling in God. And because he was, the hand of God was on him. Because he was abiding and dwelling in God, he wasn't only just reading the word and hearing the word, but he was devoted to studying the word. You know what? We don't study the word more than we do. I love y'all, but let's shoot straight. We're lazy. We are lazy. We don't want to put forth the effort, the energy, the intentionality to sit down and study the Word of God. Hey, suck it up, buttercup. Come on, let's go. If you're, listen, if you're truly abiding in Jesus, you won't be able to help yourself but studying the Word. You might be diagnosing yourself right now going, well, I don't like to study the Bible. What does that say about where you're dwelling? Right? Because if you're dwelling in Jesus, there's going to be a, flowing of God into your life. You're going to position yourself to hear, to read, and to study the Word of God. Now, I know, to be fair, there's some people that say, I want to, but I don't know how. I'm kind of intimidated about how to do that. I've told you this sermon series kind of inspired by one of our church members, Bob Cofield, who's writing a book along these same lines. And when Bob's book comes out, it's going to have some great resources to help you study the Bible. For now, make it really simple. To go from reading to studying the Bible, all you got to do is get a pencil and a piece of paper. That act alone is going to move you from merely reading to studying. With the Bible and a pencil and a piece of paper, you begin, first of all, to write down observations about what you're reading. Just what, what do you see on the surface? What do you see there? Write it down. Make a note of that. Look at it longer than you think you need to, by the way. I remember when Rick Oglesby came here and he taught our men how to study the Bible. First thing he did is he put up a picture of a stop sign. And he said, hey, gentlemen, what do you see? Oh, stop sign. Look longer and tell me what else you see. And after he gave us about 10 minutes to look at that stop sign, we named off 30 or 40 different things that we saw about that stop sign. But we had to go beyond, it's a stop sign. Look deeper and then write down the observations. Then the second thing you want to write down are correlations. Are there words? As you've been reading the Bible, did you read something yesterday that correlates to that? Or last week, you read this book, this chapter, and there was a phrase there, a word there, a meaning there, a truth there that correlates to what you're reading here. Write that down. And then the third thing you're going to do is you're going to do interpretation, observation, correlation, interpretation. Here's how you do interpretation. You don't come to the Bible going, what does this mean to me? If you want to drive me nuts, let me be in your Bible study group and somebody ask the question, well, what does this mean to you? Who cares what it means to you? It has one meaning. God wrote this with one meaning in mind. Now, it might apply a million different ways in our lives, but that application has got to be rooted in the one true meaning. Bob calls this the holy grail of Bible study. You have got to seek out what the authorial intent of that passage is. What did the original human author understand this to mean? It's the Holy Spirit of God delivered it to him. 
You've got to put yourself in his shoes or in his sandals, and you've got to work toward understanding what that human author was thinking, what they were feeling, and understanding it as they understood what it meant. It only means what God wants it to mean, what God intended for it to mean. What God's word meant in 81 AD can't be different from what God's word means in 2021. And that's so important. We're living in this crazy world of Christianity now where everybody's just in it for, this is what it means to me. Who cute? Post that, blah, blah, blah. Listen, and by the way, can we just stop giving each other advice? Do you know why the world is so jacked up right now? Because Christians are running around giving each other advice and giving the world advice. Who cares about advice? We need to be giving people the word of God. Give people hope. Give people the truth. Give people the unchanging word of God. Now, I know in this world they don't want to hear it. But at least when they die apart from Jesus, they will know somebody during my life loved me enough to try to point me to the truth of God's word. This is a good time for me to pause and remind you, Grace Life is a church that believes the word of God is our final authority. And that is going to put us in hot water in the days to come. Just know it. But we cannot and we will not, by God's grace, deviate from recognizing that God's word has the final say in all of our lives. I don't expect you to clap for that. I expect you to know that's us, y'all. That's us. I, you know, they say, like, yeah, that's grace life, baby. Yeah, God's word. Thank you, Jesus. But thank you for the encouragement. <laughs> all right. But reading and hearing and studying, even that's not enough. Ring finger, memorizing. Memorizing. We, we need to memorize. We need to marry ourselves to the Word of God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. This is where I check out, right? Because I'm not good at memorizing. Can, can a person who abides in Christ just do five of those? Okay, first of all, let me ask you this question. I, I'm going to make you this offer. Herb's underwriting this uh, uh, trial, so don't worry about it. He's, he's got it. He's good for it. Right now... Let's just decide right now that between now and next Sunday, every Bible verse you memorize, Herb's going to pay you $10,000. How many of you suddenly got the gift of memorization? Right? Right? Some of you were doing mental math. You're like, oh, $10,000. You're like already guesstimating how many verses you're going to come back in here with having memorized. You know what that tells me? We don't have a memorization problem. We have a motivation problem. I love y'all. And you love me, right? So let's tell each other in Jesus' name, suck it up, buttercup. Get in the word. Read it. Hear it. Study it. Memorize it. Hide it in your heart so you won't sin against God. Hide it in your heart so that when temptation comes, you can be like Jesus who just took it out. It is written. It is written. It is written. And he backed Satan down every single time. He didn't have to call him. Hey, you got some advice? I'm dealing with Satan right now here in the world. No, the word was in him. And he spoke it and the enemy withdrew from him. Hide it in your heart so that when your friends come to you wanting worldly advice, what comes out of your heart and out of your mind is the unchanging truth of God. We are not people that give advice. We are the dispensers of the never-changing word of God. So we've got the palm of the hand, read the Bible, pinky finger, hear the Bible. We have the pointer finger, study the Bible. We have the ring finger, memorize the Bible. And unfortunately, I saved this one for last. We have the middle finger, meditate on the Bible. My illustration broke down when I realized I should have changed the order around maybe a little bit. But number five, 
meditate. Meditating on the Bible. I put this in the middle because I think a life that's abiding in Christ, meditating on his word is central to everything in that believer's life. I think a believer who's meditating on God's word, their life orbits around the truth of God's word. Meditating is simply taking truth of scripture and thinking about it over and over and over again. And and trying to go deeper with that thought every time. Kind of like a hatchet against a tree. Just over and over and a little further and a little deeper every single time. um, Used to, my go-to thing to go to sleep was a big glass of cold milk. But now I'm having um, uh, problems. I have clothes that are apparently lactose intolerant. And so I've had to switch from drinking milk at bedtime to hot tea. And um, think of it this way. When I take that hot water and I got that tea bag, I can dip it in and pull it out, and that's like reading the Word. I can dip it in and pull it out, that's like hearing the Word. I can dip it in and pull it out, that's like studying the Word. I can dip it in and pull it out, that's like memorizing the Word. But when I dip it in and I leave it in, that's like meditating on the Word. When I leave that bag of tea in that hot water, everything that's in that tea bag is going to fully saturate and fill up that cup of hot water. The contents of what's in there is going to seep out into everything else that's inside that cup. That's what biblical meditation is going to do in your life. It's going to fill your mind up with God's word so that your life is filled up with the flavor, the true flavor of God. Look at Psalm chapter 1. He says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice. There's that word again. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with the mockers. That's not how people who are abiding in Jesus live their life. They, verse 2, they delight in the law of the Lord. What's the law of the Lord? The Bible, the Scripture, God's Word, meditating on it day and night, day and night, day and night, soaking it in. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. You know why? Because they're fully flavored with the truth of God, with the person of God, and with His Word. Joshua chapter 1 Verse 8, God tells Joshua, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, day and night, day and night. Why? So you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Sometimes for me, biblical meditation is what I call my big idea. Right? I just want to get four or five words stuck in my head. If God is for us, who can be against us? All day, over and over. If God is for us, who can be against us? And I might stop and pause on one word and really think about that word. I want to take it stronger, and I want to take it deeper all day long. And when something happens, something gets in my face, something's going on, I pull that scripture out just like my rabbi Jesus taught me to do. I pull it out and say, it is written. If God is for us, who can be against us? Or my brother, sister in Christ comes to me. They want advice. No, no, no. If God is for you, who can be against you? We share the truth of God's word. But there's one more way, real quick, that we can receive God's word from God, and that's to apply God's word. Applying the word of God, and this is the thumb. Watch this. We meditate, and we study, and we memorize, and we hear, and we read. But now we've got to close that thumb up over it, right? Now we've got our puncher's grip. Now we're locked in on God's word. We seal up God's word in every way in our life. And James says about applying God's word, verse 22, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, forget what you look like. 
Nothing changed. Nothing changed. That's just like if you read the Bible, but you don't do it. Nothing changed. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Listen, if God wants us to read and hear and uh, meditate and study and memorize, isn't it because he wants us to apply? He wants us to put it into practice. So what that tells me is every time I come to God's word, I need to come with some expectancy that I'm going to hear from God. I'm going to get my marching orders. I mean, I feel like I'm in the locker room back in the day, and, and Coach Jesus is stepping in going, all right, here's the formation. Here's the plays I'm calling. Here's what I want you to do in your life today. I've read it. I've heard it. I've studied it. I've memorized it. I've meditated on it. But now I want to apply it, and now I want to embrace fully God's word and God's purpose and God's plan for my life. What if God's word isn't central to your life today? Here's where you are. Repent, believe, abide, receive. Repent, believe, abide, receive. Repent, believe, abide, receive. Repent, believe, abide, receive. Psalm 1 summarizes the outcome of the life that loves God's word and the life that doesn't. Let me read it one more time. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Their delight is in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They're like worthless chaff scattered by the wind with all their advice and self-help. They'll be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the ungodly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. I'm going to give you one more thing to write down. Write this down, and then tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, post it. Stick it on a posty note on your forehead. I don't know, but this, this sentence, I think, is huge. Every human being, every human being will either delight in God's word or drift toward destruction. Every human being will either delight in God's word or drift toward destruction. My brothers and sisters, let us not be found drifting from God's word and toward destruction. Today's the day. Let's repent. I've told you for years, the big billboard at the new campus just needs to say, Grace Life, a repenting church. None of us are going to be perfect this side of glory. Therefore, let us excel at repenting, right? Let that just be what we're known for. There are a bunch of people that are always messing up, but they're the first ones to turn from that, to confess it, and to get their toes back in the right direction. Let's repent and let's believe so that we might abide, so that we might receive the life-giving truth of the Word of God for our lives. God, we bow our hearts before you, grateful for your mercy and grace that we've talked and sung so much about today. God, the greatest of all miracles, apart from a God that would save sinners through the crushing of his own son, would be that you would give us this book, that it would come out of your lungs that you would use human beings from different continents and different eras of time to write it. That through your providence you would preserve it through wars and famine and plague. 
that in your providence it would be passed down to us. What a miracle. And if we would only read it, hear it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, and live it out. Word of God, would you, and Spirit of God, would you call us to repent and believe and abide so that we can receive from your word, not just now, but consistently. In Jesus' name, let's stand, church, and let's worship the Lord and let's sing. Set our hearts and minds on Jesus. You're free to worship Him in whatever posture that may look like. Just don't waste the moment that we have here, okay?